Welcome back to Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. So as we continue our Corrie at 60 celebrations, let's go right back to the beginning, shall we? Ken Barlow has been a character in the street right from the start. But who was there with him? Well, there's already a great interview on the Distinct Nostalgia player with Philip Lowry, who played Dennis Tanner. Do give it a listen. But two of the other originals who are still with us are Patricia Shakespeare, who played Ken's first girlfriend, the first of many, and Alan Rothwell, who was Ken's brother David. Ashley's been catching up with both of them for Distinct Nostalgia. Thanks, Ian. Yes, we've an hour or so in the company of Patricia Shakespeare and Alan Rothwell, but also Kenneth Cope, who wasn't in Corrie at the start, but was around from 1961 onwards, after he landed a regular role in Coronation Street, largely by accident. He'll be telling you all about that later. As well as Coronation Street stories, these actors are famous for other things, so expect a few tangents along the way as well. So who should we start with then? Well, how about Alan Rothwell? To a lot of people, a lot of people listening to this, you will always be... David Barlow. David Barlow, Cam Barlow's brother Absolutely. in Coronation Street. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get the part in Corrie? How did I get that part? Yeah. Well, do you know, I don't, I don't know, but I suspect something, because I never had an audition. And I'm about the only one who never had an audition for oh. Coronation Street. And I think the reason for that was Tony Warren and I had worked together in radio on Children's Hour back in the... Mm, late 40s, uh, mid 50s, you know, so we were mates. Of course, Violet Carson was on Children's Hour as well. Wasn't as she? was Violet Carson, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yes, up she would be another one who didn't have an audition. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember about the beginning days of that, of, of, of Corrie? Because obviously, this was, this was a, a very brand new thing. It wasn't going to necessarily last for very long. Was it 13 episodes originally, all the rest of it? Yeah, yeah, like that, do, yeah. Do you remember your first days on set? Do you remember all that? Um, I, I, I do remember wandering around with a bunch of people that I'd never met before. Except for Violet Carson, or they were all they were all strangers, and we got these six scripts. There were six scripts to start with, and we read them, and we all went wow, <laughs> because there'd been nothing like it. No. There really hadn't. I mean, there'd been some of those kitchen soap films, hadn't there? By yes, that point, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. but nothing, um, nothing that seemed really to get down to yeah. to the brass tacks of living in the north and. And of course, Tony was very young at that time, wasn't he? Oh, he was a young yeah, guy, but yeah, he yes, yeah. based it on the people he knew, didn't he? Basically, he yes, he yeah, did indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what was your character supposed to be like? Well, um, they were they were sort of more middle class than the rest of the street. Yeah. They were the Barlows. They had pretensions of, uh, you know, of, uh, Ken still has, Ken, doesn't he? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the the. Um, Yes, that he 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 was gone to he's gone to university. Yes. David had not gone to university. Uh-huh. There was a bit of a clash there, was yeah. that? Yeah. So that yeah. was the idea that that the the older lad had got all the benefits and the younger lad had uh, was a bit left behind. So there was a bit of tension between you yeah. and, uh, yeah. and, and and Ken. And curiously, yeah. and curiously enough, it's the story of my father and his brother. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. His, yeah. the, his brother went to work in the office. And my father went to work in, on the floor in the, uh, in the cotton okay. mill. And was there tension there between? Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yeah. Was, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah interesting, interesting. Coronation Street went out live to start with. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, that was terrifying. Yes, yeah. You had to do a half an hour of um, television. Yes, and get it right. And get it right, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I bet, I bet the theme, when the theme tune came on, I bet that was like, oh, my God, this is dread, yes. the dread of what yeah, was going to happen, yeah, you know. Yeah. And did you, did if you, you make a mistake, it goes out to the whole country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 At that point, it was like yeah. 20 odd million viewers or whatever. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember anything going wrong? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, there's one wonderful episode, there's one yeah. wonderful episode in which uh, there's been um, somebody's locked the door of a room with, with a key. Yes. Locked the door and. Um, was supposed to hand it to um, the stage manager who could then un- unlock the door for the next scene. And that didn't happen. The door was still locked. Oh. So Peter Adamson, Len Fairclough, yes. and Stan Ogden, I think it was, have got a table. And they've got to carry this table in through that door. And they can't get the door open. <laughs> and this is live television. And they're standing there going, no, no, it's well, whatever. And then Peter Peter finally says, I'll tell you what, let's take it round here. <laughs> and they walk round the front of the set and walk into the set through a wall. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> through a, an imaginary wall yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and put the table in the middle. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, dear. Did the audience know? Do you think they noticed it? Well, uh, nobody seemed to take too much notice of it except us. I mean, we were all with our... Biting our fingernails yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, with either terror or laughter. <laughs> I, remember, I think I always remember very occasionally in the seventies. I don't know if it was carrying, if it was still being done live in the early seventies, but I do remember a boom occasionally coming down. You'd see oh, a, right, yeah. a, you know, yeah, 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 there, it would yeah. pop up again, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose true. you know they were quickly trying to obviously get them done. So did you did you used to spend a lot of time rehearsing for the live performance? Was that yes. yeah? Yes, you yeah. did. Yeah. yeah, well, you did a week's. We did a week's rehearsal, and uh, we did a week's rehearsal for the, for two episodes, and then one went out live on the thing on the Friday night. Yeah, this was right at the beginning, yes, yeah. the Friday night, and then we recorded one. For the following Wednesday. Right, okay. So, so originally Wednesdays and Fridays, and then it became Mondays and Wednesdays, I think, for yeah, a long time. And yeah, then, yeah. and now it's just about every day of the week, I think. It's <laughs> something it stupid, it yeah. Some, somewhere, <laughs> isn't it? What was Granada like at the time? What was it like to go to work in that building at that particular point in time? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a special place. Yeah, yeah. It was a special place, yeah. 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 Um, th- there was always people around the door. Um, wanting autographs, yeah. uh, mainly for Coronation Street, but there was um, oh, there were other really excellent programs going out there. Oh, well, in action was going out that's, there, wasn't that, it? All the rest of it. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but there was there was always big things, wasn't yes, there? there were. Big yeah. blockbuster programs because yeah. yeah. it was everyone. A lot of people often talked about Granada being the BBC of ITV, didn't they? They oh, said it was right, yeah. you know because it was yeah. it did a such a range of stuff, didn't yes, it? You know. I mean, I know your your first love is, is theatre, but did you find working at Granada an exciting place to be at that time? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I'm a bit hesitant about it because it really was pretty hard work, yeah, and, yeah. and it was yeah. And, and you see, the money was like different from you know it was chalk and cheese. Suddenly, yeah. there was. Lots of money pouring in, yeah, of course. Which you never got in the theatre. You got a wage in the theatre. So you were there, you were there for 
eight years. Eight years. Yes. Eight years. I mean, that's a long time in those days yeah, for a, yeah, you know, very well, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and and um, I mean, you got on with everybody. You all you all got on quite well. Yeah. Absolutely yeah, fine. Yeah. Absolutely family. fine. Yeah, 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 it was a great family. Um, I can't remember any. But you see, I'm a sucker. I mean, I just get on with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I, I don't have any uh, issues myself no, about no. Oh, things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so when you were in Corrie, you were in Corrie, you were quite a young man at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. Were, you, were you a bit of a heartthrob? Yeah. Did people write to you? Did people, yeah, young sure women? But you, was it was you, you know because I know the other ones. Like, were, yeah, a little bit of that going on. A little bit of that going on. Yeah. 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 Oh, why did David depart? Where did he leave? Well, ah, oh, that, that was slightly tricky. Oh, was it? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was to do with um, it was to do with him getting married and right, okay. and um, other people being involved in his stories. It was. Uh, yeah. Obviously, your character was killed off. He died in Australia. Were you happy about that? No, I was. I was happy to leave. Yeah. Because um, I, I, it, something else had turned. Yeah, it's a long stint, wasn't it? Yeah. But I, I would have liked to stay. Have gone. Had the a possibility of going back. Yes. Yes. But they had to kill him because um, he was married by then, and uh, and his wife wanted to go back in in the streets, and I was touring in a play. Okay, so Coronation Street, big thing, massive audience. Oops, you, 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 yeah. You've been watched by literally millions at yeah, that, at that yeah. point. Huge stars by the yeah. end of 1968. So you found yourself not there anymore. Right. What was, what was next for you? Well, um, I, you see, I, I started work in the theatre yes. at the age of 11. Yes. I did a bit of radio on Sunday afternoons and children's hours. Rest of the time... I worked in the theatre, and that's what I loved. And I'll tell you now, that's what I've st- I still love. And that's what I've always wanted to do. Yes. Television, a load of money, but nowhere near the fun. No. Nowhere near the excitement and the... Uh, um, oh, the, the feeling that the job's in your hands. Of course, yeah. You, it's you working with an audience... And you getting your laughs yeah, or, yeah. or making them cry or whatever, uh, and you don't get that in television. Television is just uh, you know. So you is that what you did? Did you then go back into the theatre? Then yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I was I was working with in the theatre at the same time as I was doing all the other stuff. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And was that mainly up here? Are you doing stuff in Manchester? Oh yeah. 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 Library Theatre, um, Oldham Coliseum, yeah. Yeah. Bolton Octagon, Liverpool Playhouse. Because it was thriving in those days. There's more theatre going on. Yeah. Yes, there was. Yeah. Yeah. And were you on? We because you've obviously done you've done both sides of it, haven't you? In terms of the theatre side of things, I've, you, yeah. You've done directing and, and I've directed a bit. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Were you doing that at the time, or was it mainly theatre? No, it was mainly, mainly, acting. Acting. mainly acting. Mainly acting. It was only fairly recently that yeah. I. Yeah. Yeah. So, what um, kind of interesting yeah. parts did you get after you came out of um, Corrie? Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the second largest part after Hamlet. The second largest part is. George in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Fantastic. Um, and we did it in three weeks. We put it on in three weeks. Uh, we rehearsed during the day, went home and learned it in the evenings. Fantastic. Now, Corrie's coming up to 60 years. How, how do you feel about that? As, obviously, you're one, of the, you, you're one of the pioneers. You were there. I think, oh, that's how I feel. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know it's, I know it's changed and it's evolved and all the rest of yeah. it. But yeah. essentially, it's still 
you know, it's still got yeah, it, hasn't it? It's still going. Yeah. It's still going. It's got the name, and yeah, and, yeah. and people still watch it. Yeah. Are you? How do you feel about that? In the sense of, did you ever think in 1960 that it'd still be here in 60 years' time? No, of course not. No, yeah. no. no, nothing lasts that long. No. Nothing has. No. Nothing has, has it? No. no There's no. nothing else except television. Yes. That has kept things going. Yeah. And Coronation Street has got it been going the longest. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you count the Arches on Radio 4, or Radio, of course. That's been a bit longer, hasn't That's it? That's right. Now you didn't know I did the Arches. Oh, were you in the Arches as well? Oh, yes. OK, well, you play in the Arches? <laughs> I played a character called Jimmy Grange, oh, and okay. I played Jimmy Grange for three years. Really? Oh, OK. Yeah. What, 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 what period was that? When was that? Oh, wow, yeah, that's the... Um, was it before Coronation Street? It was before Coronation Street. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Oh, grief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, going back, it may be the late... So this was like, because you, you did Children's Hour, and then the, this, yeah. this sprang out of that, presumably, yes, it did, did it? Did, yeah. yeah. And did you do that in Manchester? In or Birmingham. In Birmingham, right, because yeah. it's still done in Birmingham. Oh, and so what was your character like in the Arches? He, he, was, um, he was a farm labourer. Right, okay. And uh, worked on the Dan Archer's farm, right. on, on the main central farm. Yeah, yeah. With, uh, did you did you have to put on a an accent for that? that no, area? I just used my Your, usual yeah. Oldham, <laughs> d- dusted it off a bit. And, uh, <laughs> and how was that? I mean, that's because interesting because you you did that and then did did, did that. Hold, I mean, obviously it was radio. Radio is different to doing telly and whatever. But did it hold you in good stead for doing Corrie? Obviously, on radio, it's about the language, about the words, about the that kind yeah. of thing. But did it sort of did it help you when it came to doing Coronation I think, Street? I think so. Well, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and theatre helps a lot. Yes, of course. Theatre sorts your voice out for you. Yeah. Um, you've got to you've got to hit the back wall, and yet you've got to make it look as if you're actually just talking to people. Yes. <laughs> what would you thinking about Coronation Street? What would you put down to its longevity? Why do you think it's been so successful? Why do you think it's still here? Well, uh, I think it. I think it actually. I think people actually regarded it as as close to their real lives as um, things had ever been yes. on television or in the stay in the, in the theatre or anywhere. Yeah, yeah. That it it it. it, it it had got it that, and it's kept that reputation oh, for a yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are now saying, "Oh, it's not like it used to be. It's everybody's murdering everybody yeah, and yeah. things." But uh, it was never like that. It was no. just people yeah. with everyday problems. Yeah. Alan Rothwell, who played David Barlow, and of course David Barlow's wife was Sandra Goff, um, who played Irma Ogden, who later became Irma Barlow. I think people forget that uh, there's a link between the Ogdens and the Barlows. And, of course, Sandra Goff uh, went on to have a big role in Emmerdale as well, didn't she? Later, we'll hear from Patricia Shakespeare, who was Ken Barlow's first girlfriend, and from Kenneth Cope, who played Sonny Jim, Minnie Caldwell's lodger, Jed Stone. But first, that short chat about Corrie was actually done while I was mainly talking to Alan about his role as a children's TV presenter with Amanda Barry, Yes, formerly of Coronation Street as well. They both hosted Hickory House in the early 1970s. That was a lunchtime Granada TV show which began along with Rainbow from Thames TV and Pipkins from ATV in direct response by ITV to the arrival of Sesame Street from America. You can hear an interview with Alan and Amanda on the Distinct Nostalgia Player. Highly recommend it. Some funny stories about Humphrey Cushion and Dusty Mop, if you're old enough to remember them. And Alan also gets all creative the little story he's written about his time on the show. Well, Alan was also known for something else. For generations of people of a certain age, he was the man that brought us the school's programme, 
picture box. And we had a little chat about that too. Right, well, let's take you, let's take you back to the 1970s. Okay. For a lot of people, you were um, this figure on Coronation Street. Yeah. But for a whole generation of people in their what, 40s now, probably, yeah. and 50s, yeah. you were a children's TV presenter. Yeah. And you were yeah. the man who brought them Hickory House and various other things. Indeed, yeah. Um, yeah. Where did it come from? When did you hear about it? And why did you end up in that role? Well, that I suppose because I'd um, because of picture box, um, I'd, I'd done picture box for years and years with a man called John Coop, who produced picture box. And this was done at Granada. Wasn't this it? was done yeah. at Granada. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but that was a schools program mainly, wasn't it? Uh, it was a schools yeah. program. That's right. But um, Sid Bernstein, um, he he thought that television would be a good way of teaching children. And he got John, who was a teacher, to to make programmes for children on an educational basis. And Picture Box was one of those. Right, right. What was um, the main principle of Picture Box? Because I've seen various episodes. They're all quite different in their own little all, way. Yeah, they're all totally different. Yeah. Our, our, our brief was that we could get film. It was a, basically a piece of film. Yes. Then I said hello at the beginning of it and goodbye. Which is what I always remember. Which you always remember. <laughs> I always remember yeah. the thing going round and round and round, the weird music, <laughs> yes, and right. then you. And then saying hello. <laughs> yeah. I had to say hello because we never knew whether they were watching it in the morning or the afternoon. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. So, because uh, it didn't go out at the same time yeah. necessarily. Um, so there so, were individual films, individual stories. Yeah, from all over the world. Yeah. There were films from Canada, films from China, films from the USSR, films from Hungary, just um, anything that we thought would be good and interesting for children. Yeah, so that was, the, that was the basis of it. And, and behind it at little kids' picture box? No, 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 it was aimed... Oh, uh, slightly uh, older. Yeah, okay. slightly older, teenagers. Yeah. Behind it, there was a, a school's booklet that a woman called... whose idea of uh, picture box was, was Sybil Marshall. Okay. And she wrote a book called experiments in education and it was about children learning new things not just the three r's and mind your p's and q's yeah. just um, opening up the world oh, to opening them, the world to them. Yeah, yeah. so this it seemed like a brilliant idea and in yeah. fact it, it was a brilliant yeah. idea fantastic, fantastic. and we did it for i did it for 19 years yeah. and how was it on was it was once a week it was on or several times a week i can't remember uh, during term times yeah. it was on Twice a week. I right, think. OK, OK. Yeah. And did you have much... You presented it, but did you have much to do in terms of research? I stopped directing producing. Oh, really? Great. Yeah, oh, yeah. I produced the last... Yeah. Uh, I can't remember now, a few months. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. What went yeah. into that? Is it Was it quite a detailed thing? You had to do... It was oh, yeah. Work. yeah, yes, yeah, it was, yeah. yeah very yeah. detailed. Yeah. I remember being in this room here, working out the times, and, you know, like you, I'm sure you do, with, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, with a yeah. programme like yeah. this, and trying to get it down to the very right second... Right, yeah, so yeah. Is it, uh, yeah. And do you know where the music came from? It's quite haunting music. Yeah. Do you know where that came from? Yeah, it's it, it's it was music on a on a, a glass harmonica. Uh, now I can't remember who the who the um, um, composer was, but it was weird, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. And a lot of people have said to me after I left it, said, "Well, I was a bit scared by." They that were. Music. They were. People were scared by it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's weird. Yeah. It was weird. It yeah. never occurred to me no, until no. after. Until after it was over. Yeah. There was another one, actually, a few years later. Yeah. Yorkshire Television did a, a programme called Book Tower, right. which was presented by Tom Baker. Ah, 
right. And it was it was in, it was literally in a book tower somewhere on the outskirts of Leeds, somewhere in a park. Yeah, yeah. And you used to go through, and that had again had weird, frightening music. Right. But then, of course, you'd also got Tom Baker's very, very deep voice at the end. Right. Of it. It was like yeah. everyone's like, "Oh, yeah. what's going to happen next?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, yours, your voice wasn't as frightening. So, you're... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you had a, you always had a very distinctive voice. Yeah. You know, it, you, yeah. you've got a very. It's one yeah, of those voices yeah, that yeah. you hear and you yeah. think. That's Alan Rothwell, yeah, you know. Yeah, so yeah. Um, has that helped you over the years? Has your voice um, helped you, do you think? I don't know. I don't know, but I, I think I, it I does. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> never, you never know about your own voice, no, do you? No, no, no. Um, is it distinctive? Well, yeah, yeah. people say it is. Yeah. I've no idea. It's, it's always sounded the same to me. <laughs> Alan Rothwell, David Barlow in Coronation Street, with memories of the hit school series that he fronted, Picture Box, in the 1970s and 80s. So then, in a moment, we'll be hearing from Patricia Shakespeare, who was there from the start on Coronation Street. She played Ken Barlow's first girlfriend in that very first episode on December the 9th, 1960. We'll be back after a quick break. You still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It only takes structure. And, and you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you know I mean? Yeah, yeah, we all we all artists over here, man. I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah. yeah. Hey, me, me, we all artists, man. We go you feel me? We gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kai, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit right now. I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now for for. Oh, I gotta lie, don't play with it. Don't play with it. No. Take that shit. Sir. This year has claimed the lives of far too many people to coronavirus. One of the many we lost was the great comedian Eddie Large, one half of that fabulous double act. Little and large. And he's asked, you know, when did you meet and all that? And he'd have the stock answers, you know, oh, we met by accident, you know, I ran him over on a zebra crossing, you know, (laughs) things like that. In a special interview, Sid Little remembers his longtime comedy partner and their years together making people laugh. I'd be stood there and Eddie'd go like, uh, you know, look at him. If he turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, it looked like a zip. If he had four more navels, he'd look like a flute. You know, <laughs> you know, when he wears his blue suit, he looks like a, a refill for a viral. Because you know, I was thin, I was really skinny, and Eddie was on the stocky side. And that's when the comedy started coming in. That's Little Remembers Large, only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Distinct Nostalgia is home to some fascinating conversations with the names behind some iconic films of the 20th century. And we've a special treasure trove of interviews and reunions around great British film. There's Morris. And the phone went, and it was James Ivory on the phone. He went, he went well, it's, it's, it's Jim here, and I just wanted to tell you uh, in person that you're it, you're Morris. That's exactly what he said, you're it, you're Morris. And I went, bless you. <laughs> And then we chatted for a few minutes, and, and then we, my mother and I did a little jig around the kitchen. When you've spent, say, three months doing a period piece, and then you move back to doing a modern piece, you haven't got that framework of class and manners to hang anything onto. It becomes about something much subtler and much more interesting, I think. And my beautiful laundrette. I think actually working on it and sticking two fingers up to what was going on around us in real life 
was such an electrifying thing. And I think that was felt by all the crew, the cast, everybody. We felt as though we were actually fighting back against the system in our own little way. Distinct nostalgia. Celebrating great British movies. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or browse our existing programmes at distinctnostalgia.com. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Home. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to Distinct Nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting, but I need protecting from love. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint. I like her, I said, and then... Silence. What's the problem? I asked. She'll take advantage of you, Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Verjet with the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. So then, let's carry on our trip back to Coronation Street at the very beginning. Later, we'll be hearing from Kenneth Cope, who, of course, uh, joined the street in 1961, uh, more or less by accident, actually. He'll be telling you about that uh, a little bit later on. Uh, and he became, of course, uh, Mini Coldwell's lodger, Sonny Jim. We'll be hearing from uh, Ken uh, very shortly. But um, first of all, let's go back to the very beginning again, December the 9th, uh, 1960. And hear from another one of the original stars. My name is Patricia Shakespeare and I was an original cast member of Coronation Street from episode one when I played uh, Ken Barlow's first girlfriend. The first of very many, I might say. Great to talk to you, Patricia. Now, of course, um, you were there, as you say, on that very first day in that very first episode. Um, But no one knew, did they, that it was going to last and in fact, um, it wasn't meant to last, was it? Well, absolutely not, because we were told very firmly by uh, Mr Bernstein, who was then the um, head of Granada, that no matter how successful it was, it would not go longer than six months. Uh, they would take it off. They wouldn't do the same as emergency war that kept on and on and on. And so he said, if they offered you another job, take it. And I was offered another job, so I took it. And they were very surprised because everybody else didn't. They all realised it was a huge success and it would go on because it was a huge success from, from, the, from the get-go. I mean, it was amazing. Um, nothing had been done like that in the North at all, in Manchester or anything. And um, it was, uh, I was just a very young actress, um, went to work on a bus. For, I stayed in Diggs. I lit, went back to London at the weekend, stayed in Diggs, went to work on the bus, and suddenly I was famous. Um, uh, you know, people on a bus. It was extraordinary. I mean, that wouldn't happen now. You could go on a bus and nobody would say a word because they're used to people. So how did you get the part in the first place? 
Oh, I just went up for an audition. I can't remember the name of the casting director, but she was known to be absolutely formidable. And um, she said to me, um, are you sure you're a northerner? And I said, yes, I'm from Yorkshire, the East Riding. I'm, and I went born in Cottingham. I went to school in Hull. And I, my family are all from the north because she said, all right then. And that was it. I suddenly got the call and we went to Manchester. I hadn't, hadn't really worked away before that. I was still quite young. And I got to Manchester and I looked up uh, the digs that are in the equity digs book. And I went to digs in um, Piccadilly. And I didn't realise at the time, because you have no idea at that age how innocent you could be in those days. You're not now. Everybody knows. Everything is much, they're much more worldly. And I actually got myself booked into a house of ill repute. And the next morning when I got to rehearsals, the very kindly Violet Carson, who played Ina Sharples, and Doris Speed, who played the landlady, said, are you all right? Were you somewhere comfortable? Because they knew what it was like being on tour. They were the old school. And I said, well, not really. It was very noisy at night. And they went, oh. And I still didn't realise. And they, they took me with Cyril Luckham, who played the doctor, a very famous Shakespearean actor, so I was overwhelmed. Um, and they took me back and they demanded my suitcase and refused to... And they said that she's not paying. And he said, yes, she is. Said, no, you're not, because we're going to the police. And, uh, so he let me go. And it took me ages to realise what I'd actually done. And this is 100% true story. I think Violet once told this story about, but she didn't say which actress, but it was me. Um, so I started off rather alarmingly. And then after that, um, it was very strange because most of the cast lived in Manchester. It was a very much a Lancastrian Manchester group of people who knew each other well because they'd been in the theatre round there together. And we were, very few of us were very much the outsiders. And we went back to London on a Friday night after the live broadcast, because it was live in those days. And then came back on to start rehearsing on Monday. So we didn't really, it wasn't a very cohesive group because they had their own lives. So I got to know some of the people that travelled rather better. I mean, people like Ernst Balder, who played Ivan. He at first used to go down on the train. And, and it was lovely to see him again at the 50th because we were invited to the 50th celebrations. And Ernst was there because he was very nice. He, he, he played a pole, but he's actually Austrian. And I practised my German on him. I used to get... <laughs> It used to make it used to make him laugh, and he was a great friend of Tony Warren, who who did the writing, who who wrote the original brilliant original scripts because the the original scripts were brilliant. I mean, they it was the first time anyone had really got the sort of northern way of speech and northern kind of humour into uh, a script. I mean, it was beginning. It was all beginning with the Albert Finneys and the Tom Courtneys and. Coronation Street really founded that on television. So why do you think they went for you in the end then? Um, I think because I was a sort of slightly posh girlfriend, they didn't go for anybody local, though she was supposed to be from Altrincham. But, I mean, when I see it now, uh, I've seen the first couple of episodes. It doesn't look at all like me because I, was, I had very bright red hair and freckles. 
And of course, on television, when you see it now, uh, it looks as though I've got very dark hair and no freckles. I was glad to get rid of the freckles, actually. Um, and uh, it's extraordinary. It was so, I mean, you provided your own clothes. Maybe I went to the audition in the right clothes. I don't know. In those days, you, you actually provided your own clothes. Now, Ken was sort of seen as the, the, the more sort of intelligent uh, of the younger ones in the street right from the very beginning, wasn't he? Yes. Well, we were both at university, you see. And um, we was, I was supposed to be both at university. And uh, he was trying to sort of break out of this um, little backstreet world and trying to be, to better himself, really. I mean, uh, it wasn't usual um, for people from some street like Coronation Street to go to university. He, he, he changed the mode. And of course, people were in those times. They, they were beginning to go to university. So what do you remember about the, the very early days working um, at Granada? Well, I, the first day on set was when I was rescued from the house of ill repute. <laughs> I mean, truly. And that made me get to know Violet and Doris, who were con continued to be very, very kind all my time there. But the rest I cannot remember, Ashley. It was a very long time ago. And the only reason I remember this is every about 20 years or so, people like you ring me up to ask. So I sort of... And this has been going on every time beginning um, Kenneth Barlow got a new girlfriend the press used to ring me to see what I thought I was usually in a play or doing something completely different so I, I didn't know but good luck to him you know? <laughs> so that's why I remember as much as I do because I can't remember the job I went to after Coronation Street but I certainly went to one um, because nobody reminds you of it anymore yeah I, I can imagine it sort of follows you around doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone wants to compare um, his other girlfriends with you, I suppose, or vice versa. Um, so going back to the beginning again, right to the very beginning, of course, right at that time, everything was live. I know they've done live episodes in recent years as one-offs and things, but at that particular time, everything was live, wasn't it? Oh, that's terrifying, but I was used to that. I had been in Emergency Ward 10, and that was live. And uh, it was like being... When of course I had done quite a bit of theatre by then, um, and that's live. But this was terrible because, of course, when you had a close-up in those days, the camera did move towards you. So literally, it was at your nose end. So it was absolutely terrifying, and you had to keep on your spot because they hadn't much wriggle room. And uh, technically, it was a quite a difficult thing to do and terrifying. But then it's always terrifying on the first night or when you're doing anything. So, But it was particularly. Um, I think if we'd have all realised how important Coronation Street would be, and it did become important, and it has been important, and it still is, I think we'd have been even more terrified. We didn't realise we were bring, beginning history. You know, <laughs> It would be bad enough just starting a new series without sort of beginning a, a historical document, really what it was. I suppose at the end of the day, you know, the thing about that is you, you, you've no room for making mistakes at all, have you? Yes, exactly. And you can see when the camera uh, switches, a light would go on. You knew you were on. 
and you had to be absolutely meticulous about your marks, what you call where you stand, because the camera had to find you and you couldn't wobble trying to find you. You just had to be in the right place. And um, it was it was a technical exercise as well as an, an acting exercise. So how long would you get to prepare for those uh, live episodes then? A week. A week because it was live. So it was a week from that and you'd be rehearsing the next one. And a week was being five days at the time. Uh, but they'd had it well planned of where the cameras would go. They had a camera script from day one. And you rehearsed on the set, at least as far as I can remember. Somebody might can... Well, somebody, if there's anybody left alive, might remember. <laughs> um, so you, you did rehearse on the set. I mean, I did... Um, uh, oh, gosh, I can't think about it. Zed Cars. And that was terrifying, doing that live. And one time I was... I played one of the policeman's girlfriends and I had a scene where I was leaning into the car and they kept the back projection going and it looked as I was hanging on onto the sort of... Uh, used to have a sort of running board and all things like that used to go hideously wrong. I can't remember anything going wrong in Coronation Street. It must have done. It was so precarious. Now, of course, you were part of a, a little family, as it were, at that particular time, the Barlows, weren't you? You went in... Uh, to that family on that very first day. Um, I have spoken recently to um, Alan Rothwell, of course, who played uh, uh, David Barlow, but of course you were working with uh, uh, Bill Roach and uh, and the others. Just tell us a bit about the uh, the, the, the family unit. I mean, uh, it, it, it's um, you're thrown at the deep end again, aren't you? Really, because you you know you're meeting new people for the first time. I remember Alan very well because he was very he's a very nice person and and a very he was very kind and uh, very welcoming and uh, they were all welcoming and I remember I can't oh that just slipped my mind he's um, um Ken's parents because you see you, you spent your life sitting in your little set waiting for the cameras to come to you you didn't go to anybody else's house you didn't make at that time, you sort of didn't make social calls, as it were. So you very much belonged to your set. A bit like self-isolating, I suppose. <laughs> self-isolating, yes. You're definitely self-isolated there. And I was the visitor. And uh, I remember my first scene is I arrived when the father and um, Alan Rothwell, they were mending a bicycle in the living room. And Ken was appalled. And I was quite... I didn't mind. You know, I wasn't snobbish. Ken was the one that was snobbish because he was trying to sort of, he thought it was something to be ashamed of. And of course it wasn't. So did you manage to um, appear in any of the other major sets on Coronation Street? I mean, were you in the corner shop or, uh, or the Rovers? I don't think I ever set foot in the Rovers. I was a very nice girl which is why I was deeply shocked when they find out later that I'd had a child because I didn't think I had that relationship with him at all. Bill told me about that and I said, well, I didn't think we had that relationship. He said, neither do I, but there you are. <laughs> I mean, in those days, you were very much more innocent. and um, But they have to build storylines from somewhere. So I was a bit surprised. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's funny what extra backstories they give some of the characters, isn't it? He certainly had uh, a lot of ladies over the years, uh, a lot of partners, and um, some notable 
very well-known people as well have uh, have gone out with Ken Barlow, including Joanna Lumley. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, Joanna Lumley and I discussed it. She went out with Ken Barlow, yes, and we had a good laugh about that. You know, we're Ken, we decided we were Kenneth Rejects. <laughs> so what about uh, Bill Roach? Um, you know, you obviously enjoyed working with him. Oh, yes, he's, he's lovely. Um, he, did, he did mention me in his book, uh, but, but I was doing television series at the time. <laughs> so, um, and I was the first of very many, as I said. I think he told me there were 27 other ladies in his life. I didn't know whether to be pleased or sorry. And did he help you at the time to, you know, when you first got the role to sort of ease you into the the uh, the, the, the part on Coronation Street? I mean, uh, were, were the, was um, Bill and the rest of the Barlows, uh, you know, um, a good combination for somebody who was uh, just starting out? Oh, yes. Yes, he was very nice. Yes. Um, all, the, all the Barlow family were nice. But as I say, they were living. They were living in Manchester. I don't think the parents were, but they were a little bit old. And I, my main people that I saw, it's very difficult to explain. But there was no social life in Manchester outside work. Very little. It was either pubs, which I didn't go to because nice girls didn't. There were hardly any restaurant things. It, it, it was completely different from now when you would go to a bar or a restaurant quite easily with your colleagues. But you didn't there. You just went back to your digs on the bus. And so it was Violet Carson who broke the ice uh, for you right at the very beginning, helped you along uh, right at the start. And, of course, uh, she'd been a, you know, a star for a long time, hadn't she, in uh, Children's Hour and various other things. She was, uh, you know, she, she, she was um, a veteran already by that point. Oh, she was well known and she was the nicest person. As I say, she was the one that realised when you come to a new place with a room full of people, that many of whom know each other, to come over and say, are you settled all right? Are you comfortable? And when I explained what had happened, did something about it. It was so typical of her. She was an absolute angel, I think. She, I really, really liked her. She was very kind. And Doris. They were lovely, the pair of them. And, and what about Elsie Tanner, you know, Pat Phoenix? Yes, yeah, she was very nice. I didn't get to know her as well, but she was always very nice. I liked her. She was so... She used to come... Arrived at the first rehearsal wearing a mink. <laughs> I loved it. But I wondered why she was wearing a mink at rehearsals, it seemed, you know. Yeah, they, they all of them, didn't they, made a, a big thing about... Uh, um, looking good. Oh, they did, and their, their hair and makeup. I think I must have been a huge disappointment. London wasn't quite the same, but they all used to come fully dressed and made up and um, sort of have to take their makeup off to, to sort of act, really, rather than the other way around. Um, but no, that sounds as though I'm making fun of them. I'm not. They were lovely. They became superstars overnight, didn't they, really? Oh, huge, huge stars very, very quickly because the North had never known anything like it. They'd never been represented on television. And as I said, the first scripts particularly that Tony wrote were beautiful. I mean, he caught the essence of it. He got the rhythm of the, the speech and, and everything and beautiful scripts, wonderful scripts. He wrote the um, early episodes, didn't he? But uh, eventually they had to bring um, other people in. He was there then, and then I believe he got sort of elbowed out a bit. 
And then, um, strange enough, my then agent, Brian Droop, took over and started saying, look, you've got to put... He, it was his original idea, and he helped Tony a bit. Tony was very nice. I, I got very fond of Tony when I was working with him. So how did they um, write Susan out then? I just faded, I think. I think I just went to a different university or something. I never thought it was going to be long-term anyway, so I think I did about two or three months, and I thought that was a lifetime. Patricia Shakespeare there, who played Susan Cunningham, Ken Barlow's first girlfriend in Coronation Street from that very first episode on the 9th of December, 1960. And on the other side of this break, we'll be hearing from Kenneth Cope, who, of course, went on to play from 1961 onwards, Minnie Caldwell's lodger, Sonny Jim. Distinct, comedy, fresh and original. Get Kettle on Dotty and Thriping. Have you heard about her at number 38? This is right. Emma, yeah, she's only gone and got herself an octub. Meet Florian Dotty by Janice Fryatt. Two northern lasses who love a good goss. She's invited us round to help her christen it. You might need to trim your lady garden a bit. And they'll have a sideswipe at anything, from the neighbours and social issues to sexuality and social media. Gypsy queen? No, thanks, Satan. I'm on a health kick. Well, you don't look very healthy right now. You've got a funny colour. A distinct comedy presentation, only on Distinct Nostalgia. It'll be just like Love Island. Love Island? Are you kidding? Lesbian Love Island, more like if it's just us three. Listen by scrolling through the Distinct Nostalgia feed. Distinct comedy. Fresh and original. Hello, officer. I want to report a robbery. A new series about the secret world of nocturnal security. Yeah, I ordered a Chinese from the Golden Moon and they forgot to send me a can of Coke. A distinct comedy presentation. Well, yeah, I consider it an emergency. I'm gasping here. That idiot on the day shift stolen the last of my flicking tea bags. Barry Pigeon protects. Well, I'm telling you, if you lot don't sort this out, it's going to be like big trouble in Little China down here. Follow the exploits of Barry Pigeon, the best night security guard in Chorley, as he discusses everything from his wife... She was too big for Zumba, so she signed up for Bumba. It's like Zumba, only they just sit on their arse and flap their arms around a bit. ...to his favourite food. I love eggs, bloody love them. Poached, scrambled, fried, <laughs> scotched, cream. I love them all! From Andrew Birtwell and Kurt Brooks, starring Roe David McClelland, and guest-starring Royston Mayo and Bruce Jackson. Columbo meets Sherlock, that's me. Barry Pigeon protects. I know what people think about this job, but it's not all sitting on your ass, drinking brews and watching Challenge TV. Uh, I sometimes bring a book as well. Watch now at distinctnostalgia.com. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as... An art student who thinks he's all free and easy, creating a model of a vagina and showing it to his mum and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband and their mixed-race family growing up in Salford in the early 1970s. A clash of cultures and generations ensues. Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my 
physical strength into trying to stop him. And I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. It's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nickel and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. So then, to conclude our little trilogy back to the very early years of Coronation Street, um, I've been talking to Kenneth Cope, who joined the street in 1961 as Sonny Jim, Jed Stone, um, who was uh, Minnie Coldwell's lodger. Um, It was rather by accident, really, that he got the part um, in the first place. And also, it was also partly to do with the kind of parts that he'd been playing previously as well. Ken was in lots of films and... um, Tended to get typecast as a particular, particular kind of rogue is probably the word. I was playing villains. People would beat people up and knocked them about and stabbed them and uh, was a real villain, really. And I was in for one Monday night episode of Coronation Street to beat uh, uh, Philip Lowry of Dennis Tanner. And Ina Sharples was, uh, was uh, in that sequence as well. And uh, I'd just done a film with Ina, uh, uh, Vi Carson, as my mother, in a film called uh, Laugh at Lad, but I playing this boxer who threw a fight. He had to throw a fight. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, she was my mum. So I had this scene, and she, she heard about my uh, threat, or my, my purpose in life was to beat him up. And uh, she, she got me under the viaduct and started shouting at me, pointing a finger, pointing a finger and saying, get out, go, go away from here. People like you, 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 you don't deserve to be here. Get out and never come back, never come out. Go away, go away, go away. And our heads got closer and closer and closer. So the vein, there's a slight pause and I said, give us a kiss. And it just brought the house down. Everybody, the whole crew just laughed their heads off. And we had a funny character created, Jed Stone, it was, uh, you know, I, I was in it for eight, about six years. I think just for t- a couple of words, I got about six years' work. And it was uh, amazing, you know. It was good because Jed was a, an affable guy. Was David Jason shouted to me once across uh, Manchester Street. He said, I owe you a lot. And I said, what? You know, gestures. And he said, uh, you inspired us with uh, your Coronation Street character, Only Fools and Horses. Because I, I was I was with uh, Philip Lowry after that, an awful lot of Jed Stone in the street, and I used to get into all sorts of scrapes. We we had a pet monkey for a while. We were looking after it for somebody or other, you know. So he was just uh, he was just eccentric, and it was it was all really nice because I had a, a bit of a free hand because I could introduce, I, I think without being conceited, I think I introduced comedy into Coronation Street. I mean Arthur Leslie in uh, in, in the Rovers Return was doing it a, a, a little uh, a comedy, but I got the really hard stuff in. And I, I, I was you know, happy about that. It was, it was good. Fabulous. So tell us a bit about that confrontation with Violet Carson and Zena Sharples then. Did, what was her reaction to it? She, she loved me, I think, because as I said, she, she just played my mum in, uh, in, in the Laugh at Lad, the boxing film, which I had to throw a fight, you know. And, uh, she, and I had to get beaten up as well. So she, she she knew me, and I I had the had the the, uh, the the liberty basically knowing her as my mum 
before in the previous film to, to sort of say, give us a kiss. If it had been any other actress, I couldn't have done it because I, I knew, I knew Vi and we, we got on uh, very well together. And so it was allowed and in. And from then on, with just those simple words, I got a hell of a lot of work. So I got uh, John Bassett, who was in the production office, uh, sort of saw me and, and uh, what I was doing, altering stuff slightly and, you know, always for somebody else's benefit. And uh, he got me into TW3. That was the week that was a satire show on BBC. And the BBC thing was amazing because people in London were not going eating out on a Saturday night in, in the restaurants because we, we were on the air at CW3. That was the week doing these satire things. And it was, it was an, an amazing, amazing to, to, to have that sort of, you know, pull on people. So it was good. But as John Bassett got me from the street and it was by, by, by Carson, give us a kiss and all the rest of it suddenly bump. And Dennis was a nice lad, because I, you know, I was got him into all sorts of pranks and things, and it was wonderful. So the license you know, we had was was really good, you know. I I interviewed um, Philip Lowry a few weeks ago, actually. He, he mentioned <laughs> well, he, no, he mentioned you, and he mentioned Anne Cunningham. Uh, he should have gone on as well, how wonderful I was to get in these lovely situations. <laughs> now, now, of course, you you came into the street, and you you ended up. Um, Lodging, of course, with Minnie Coldwell. Ma, yes, she, she was she was languishing basically, uh, while the other two, Martha and uh, whatever, Ina, uh, you know, and she 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 was a sort of third person in, in the trio because there were like three witches, and uh, because I lodged with her suddenly, and I was bringing comedy into the street, uh, suddenly she uh, uh, little house blossomed, and and I was. Um, I helped her, helped her towards that. We were a double actors. She was very, very good. And I think she was very fond of each other. And she was okay. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's a funny business. If things work, they work. And it's, 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 it's amazing when they do. And it's so tragic when they don't, you know. Indeed. Tell us a bit about Margot Bryant. Because I don't know a great deal about her. Yeah, there was Ina, Meanie and Mar. Martha. You know, she was just very, the other two had rather a lot to do. And I think when we exploded as Jed, Jed Stone, uh, in, in, and she was my landlady, suddenly she had the, the, the leading part of the three witches. And it was great for her. It was great to see her sort of blossom and, and to, to extend herself. But before that, it was a very modest, very, very modest career, you know. Although she had been in quite a few films before, I think, hadn't she? It was, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know she'd been, but she probably has, and they're probably being shown on talking pictures now. But well, I loved her. She was playing my landlady, and I, I really adored her. She was smashing. She was, she was, she was nice to have around. You know? She was in, uh, i tell you what she was in. She was in, um, do you remember the, the original film of, uh, about Oscar, the trials of Oscar Wilde? But 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 this. What's interesting about this is you were obviously a young man at the time. These people like Violet Carson and Margot Bryant and others, they'd been yeah. born. They'd been born in the in, in the nineteenth century. These were these were sort of you know a, a different kind of, of of generation, weren't they? I mean, you know, yeah. what was it? What was it like sort of working with those people as a whole? Uh, it was magic. I mean, I'm going to mention Arthur Lowe now, Leonard Swindley in the street. Because I think um, he's he's such a good actor, and he's he's in Dad's Army, obviously, but uh, but Captain Mannering, you know, but he's um, he, he was he was bloody good to 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 work with. They were special people, 
you know, there were some idiots there who were very pompous and silly, but most of them, you know, I've always argued, and I've said it before, that when you're in drama school, somebody should teach you how to deal with success instead of going around the twist, you know. And it's uh, it's something I've I've got to think about. That when you when you're happy, you're successful. You should be able to d- deal with it in in a proper kind way, you know. It, it rebounds on you quite often though, because we were shooting uh, the street, uh, and at the end of this entry, it was dark and it was cold, and I had my warm caravan, and we finished my little scene, and I was noticed these extras, about six or seven of them, across the road. So I walked over to them just to say hello. You know, so-called uh, actor in the series, and uh, I shook their hands and said, "Don't worry, um, uh, there'll be some hot, hot drink or so. Somebody will bring you a hot drink soon." And I said, "It is cold," and then all the rest of them just were friendly with them, and they, they weren't extras at all. It was a bloody bus queue. <laughs> I've been saying hello to these uh, strangers. You know, they were a bus queue. They, they weren't extras. When I was getting popular with uh, T W three. I told you about the restaurants in the West End of London and stuff. Um, the, um, the, 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 I was in, in the sunshine in the, in the car park at Granada where I was told that somebody from head office wants to see me. And these two guys with suits on came from head office and s- said to me in, in the car park of Granada, uh, we, we, we don't think you can do both. Uh, that's uh, Coronation Street and TW3 because I was doing TW3 on a Saturday night and the Coronation Street all week. I was getting 50 quid for TW3 from the BBC and about 250 or 300 a week from Coronation Street. So I said to them, well, I think, because I had different ideas about most things, I said, I think I'd rather do TW3 because it was a popular show and it was bloody fun for me to, you know, to get there amongst amongst the jokes and the satire. And a few days later, they, they came back and said, it's all right, you can still do both. But I, I don't think they ever forgave me for making a decision I did, you know, like uh, packing in the BBC for, uh, and uh, losing 250, 300 quid a week on the street. But uh, I don't know, you've, some, some things you do, you're proud of. And, I, I, you know, I just wanted to, to stay with Ned Sherin, a lovely man. He, he directed TW3. And uh, John Bassett who got me in there. And uh, it's really good. He was a few years doing TWC and the street. Going going back to Coronation Street, just paint yeah. it, paint it, because obviously now we, you know, it goes out several times a week and it's become a bit of yeah. a, become a bit of a factory in a way. Just, just give us yeah. a, just give us an idea of what, what it was like sort of going into Granada at that time. What was the, what was the atmosphere like? What were the people like? What was it, you know, what, what did it feel like going, going and doing stuff on Corrie back in the early sixties? It was good because I, you got a car space, you were allowed in with your motor, and uh, there was room there because the, the, the security was and the discipline with the the, the uh, commissioners everywhere, everybody, and it was uh, it was it was it was good, and um, you know it was um, it was it was it was a well-run bloody organisation. It was really really good. It was in the street because um, the pressure of doing this, uh, you know, two shows a week was quite high and but I, I was on a Friday I was getting the train down to London and um a, a guy on a motorbike who come about eight o'clock at night with with Saturday night Saturday night script of TW3 the BBC show I was in 
and that's the that's where it all it all got a bit funny. But it was bloody hard work, you know. But it was it was intensive, and I think once we were having a a problem because there was a girl, an actress, who suddenly got very ill and collapsed, and she couldn't. Um, and she, she couldn't do it, the, the, the show, so there was a three or four minutes missing of uh, of our, our thing on a Friday, and they came up to me, would you believe, and said, "Could you could you ad lib uh, for three or four minutes of filling the bloody gap?" That's just like you know throwing bloody um, I don't know wedding confetti to Jed Stone. He was he was at it, so I said, "Can I use the car?" Because there was a car in the picture. There was a car in the show that that day. And it was a fairly old one or whatever, but it was an open one. And so I, I, I had lived for three or four five minutes around this bloody car. And what I did is I ran every every sort of regular member of the, the, the Coronation Street down. I rubbished them. I said, you know, he'd be too pompous to sit there, wouldn't he, or whoever it was. Whoever, I just ran them all bloody down. And uh, it's, uh, I asked them afterwards, uh, did they mind? And they said, no, but nobody spoke to me for six years. So I was rubbishing them, you know, around uh, round, round the car. So I had to do that, and that was that was a, a challenge. And it was I'm glad I did it because it helped them out. They had the gap, and you had to fill the gap somehow or other. And the gap was filled with Chedstone walking around the car, rubbishing people, which is uh, not bad. It's not bad at all. <laughs> so tell us a bit about being a young man on the street in the sense that there was you there was uh, Philip Lowry there was Bill Roach there was all the other people there did you social yeah. did you socialize much with all these people not not really no um with Bill Roach and that and his set as it were uh were separate I never got to know Bill Roach properly but um well I suppose you I suppose you were too busy to uh to, to sort of go out and because you're back and up and up and down to London all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was there for the doing the street for a week, and then on the Friday I'd, I'd hurtle back to to London, uh, wait for the motorbike to arrive, read the script, and, and then go and do it on the Saturday. And then the following Monday I had to go back to Manchester again. Uh, so you know it was, it was it was lovely and hectic. But I mean, if you talk to any actor, they'll say, "God, it's good when it's like that. So busy that you don't have time to think." And it was good. You know, they enjoyed it. They wanted to kill my character, kill him dead in the story, and I refused. I wouldn't let them. Jedstone was very precious to me, and um, the, I, I, I refused them for them to do it. And they 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 listened to me, and they, and they didn't do it. So Jedstone lives. I think I've got a heart problem in Chelsea somewhere in the hospital, but I, I, I wasn't killed. I wasn't murdered because there was somebody going murdering people all the time, and they wanted him to murder me as well. And I said, no, please don't, because Jed is, is, is a precious character to me because he's done me and my family so much good, you know, and I've met so many really nice people. Before we talk, yeah, before yeah. we talk about that, when you go back to the very early years and all those storylines you had with with uh, Margot Bryant and obviously with Philip Lowry and whatever. Yeah, is there yeah. anything in particular, any storylines in particular that stand out that you remember really well? There was uh, quite a lot when I was heavily involved with something or other. And it was quite, quite, because, you know, it, it, it varied all the time. If somebody would be the star of the show one week, uh, then the following uh, week somebody else would be. But, I mean, I, it, it wasn't just coming on and saying the odd line. There was, there was always a story attached to it. 
So that's that's why I enjoyed the street, you know. And, and basically, it was all about you getting up to lots of different capers, I suppose. Lots. Of... Yeah, yeah. Jed Stone, yeah. Laughable rogue, yeah. And, and did yeah, uh, did yeah. Mi did Minnie always forgive him? Oh yeah, she she. I'd be lying on a stretch piece uh, on, on a sofa reading the paper, and she'd be feeding me, uh, you know, marmalade toast or something. She was uh, she was very good at looking after me, but she was so happy that her character had been revived and resuscitated and. And, and you know, made bigger because because of the the, the lodger she had, and I was the lodger, and I, we got on very very well. And I know. guess I guess the Ina Sharples character would have been constantly warning her against you. No, she didn't. She Ina didn't get anywhere like that at all. She was just Ma was allowed to have the lodger, and that was it. And I was I was somewhere else on a different set doing some shenanigans or whatever. So we, I wasn't involved in the other three. You know, three old ladies as well. So you left Coronation Street eventually, and then yeah. you then you appeared in in different things like Minder and George and Mildred and all sorts of things, didn't you? In the seventies, yeah, that was fun. It was really nice. Obviously, they decided to bring you back after forty two years. How yeah, did you yeah. get a? Pro well, can you remember them approaching you for that? Uh, well, it's probably my agents, and uh, you know. And we uh, saying, yeah, because I'm very loyal to the uh, Coronation Street. And me, me and my wife and I were in it uh, together at one point. And it's it's very important to me, you know, I'd do really anything for Granada because they're so good. And they've been so good to me. So, uh, you know, I, I do applaud them for what they are. It's uh, it's really good. Yeah, your your wife was in it in the very early years, wasn't she? Yes, she was, yeah, yeah. She's played my girlfriend, apparently. But I mean, you know, it's, it's all the lies we have to learn, for God's sake. Your, your memory becomes distorted. Yeah, so basically, you came back into the programme. That must have been quite yeah, quite yeah. weird coming back so many years, 42 years yeah, later. Yeah. I mean, people like yeah, um, yeah. Eileen Derbyshire would still be there, of course. Fantastic, Eileen. Oh, God, she was a nice lady. Do you know, I was playing The Empire with uh, David Frost doing a tour of TW3 and The Empire in Liverpool. And she organised all the cast, all the cast, to come and see it. It was good of her, because I had them all in my dressing room at the Empire. And it was so nice of them to come all that way, because it was a hell of a lot, and it's quite expensive to travel from Manchester to Liverpool and a theatre ticket and stuff. So I mean, that was Arlene Darby, she, she got them all. And, and one part of the storyline, when you came back into it, was her. Yeah. she recognised yeah. you so many years later, didn't she? I think so. I can't remember much about it. I'm sorry to be so vague. Miss Eugen, she was bloody good. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, I mean, what, what, did it, what, what I'm trying to get at is what did it feel like to go back? Um, it was uh, nostalgia time, really. And it was, uh, you know, any actor will tell you this, but it's a, a job is a job is a job. And it's, uh, you know, I was glad to get it uh, or whatever, you know, it's, you were you did you didn't question it or whatever. You had a good agent, and they, they, everybody was sort of you know, supposedly looking after you, you know. But it's quite something to go back to something with a forty-two year gap, isn't it? I would think so. Yeah. I think you were beaten yeah. in the end by by Philip Lowry for the record yeah. because he yeah. went, he went back after forty-seven years. Well, he would do, wouldn't he? <laughs> <it? laughs> <laughs> the wonderfully talented. Kenneth Cope there, who never seems to be off 
our TV screen still, really, because he's in all those repeats of Randall and Hopkirk deceased and all the various films that get shown on talking pictures. He's a living legend, is our uh, Kenneth Cope. And, of course, uh, he was uh, also in the Carry On films, Carry On Matron, and, of course, Carry On At Your Convenience, where he does the, you know, one out, all out kind of thing. Very funny film. Uh, I don't get tired of watching Carry On At Your Convenience. It's brilliant. Um, And we'll be hearing from Kenneth at some point uh, in the future about his memories of things like Randall Hopkirk, Deceased, and the carry-ons as well. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, Of course, he played uh, uh, Jed Stone, um, who was Minnie Coldwell's uh, lodger, uh, Sonny Jim uh, in the 1960s and he came back to Coronation Street in recent years as well and as he says Jed Stone hasn't been killed off so he could return at some point in the future anyway that concludes our Coronation Street trilogy back to the very early years of the street and uh, there'll be plenty more uh, Coronation Street uh, treats in store for you uh, over the next year on Distinct Nostalgia. Uh, but um, our little bit of overindulgence is over for the moment. Um, it was the 60th birthday after all. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed all the treats and all the delights that uh, uh, we've managed to bring to you on Distinct Nostalgia. And uh, all of those interviews remain on the Distinct Nostalgia player or wherever you um, happen to get your podcast scroll through it at any point and you'll find your interviews with uh, philip lowry uh, chris quinton john finch one of the early writers they're all on there thelma barlow martin hancock uh, nick cochran uh, endless so you know a real treasure trove of coronation street history on distinct nostalgia so please please do troll through that at your leisure uh, whenever you can uh, but for now very happy new year to you As well as amazing TV and film nostalgia, this podcast is also home to an epic radio quiz, where listeners just like you go head-to-head on their favourite TV shows and films and put their general knowledge to the test. There's a bonus point if you can sing the theme tune, but I know you're not going to, are you? Skippy, 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 the bush kangaroo is all I can remember. Yeah, well, that that earns you a point. Yeah, I'll go for that. The fifth season of the Distinct Nostalgia Mind of the Month quiz is almost here, and it needs you. Prisoner cell block. Cell block B. Prisoner cell block H. Simply choose your favourite TV show or film and get in touch at distinctnostalgia.com. Have a go at three British films. Just have a guess. Oh, Whistle Down the Wind, Carry On Up the Khyber. Um, no, this is rubbish. I'm sorry. No, I don't <laughs> that, know. <laughs> that, they're not bad attempts, actually. And the two leading minds from across the month compete head-to-head in the final for a coveted Distinct Nostalgia mug. It's almost like a trophy. The Mind of the Month quiz. What kind of programme was The Smoking Room? Oh, I've never heard of it. I don't know if I can accept that. That's a cracker, isn't it? They Uh, always are. (laughs) Only here. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM. And you can hear lots more programmes via the Distinct Nostalgia player. There's Hartley Hare and a Pipkins reunion. So, Hartley, nice yes, to hello. meet you. Can, nice I, can, I, can I shake you can your shake paw? shake my hand, yes. Is it a paw or well, a hand? it's a paw, really. It's I paw. call it a hand. <laughs> I remember you going to the dentist. Oh, yes, I went to the dentist once. And you weren't very one. happy about it, no, were you? No, I wasn't you? very happy about it. I hated it. Corrie and Carry On star Amanda Barry remembers being a children's TV presenter in the 70s. Because it was live, they were always either overrunning or underrunning, so there were mad people waving at you. Mm. I remember one day we were really underrunning 
running. So I hopped on the wall and walked along it. Oh, I got in such trouble. They said, you are teaching children to walk on walls. We're back in Hartley to meet the original female inspectors from Juliet Bravo. So when you come to do any filming, you've got this skirt on and this jacket. And the coat was cold. The hat, the first hat we wore, wasn't reinforced. It wasn't a helmet. And I had a handbag. No pockets. There wasn't a single pocket in my jacket. I mean, talk about ill-equipped. <laughs> and there's even an appearance from Gonzo in our great Muppets reunion. Dr. Gutnick works on me. I've had my nose lifted. I've had, you know, everything fixed. Everything's been lifted. <laughs> These programmes and many more are all available now at distinctnostalgia.com. Get in touch via the Contact Us page on the website. Bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.